Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, and that means you can be one of our listeners who gets to have their say live on the air. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. 847-866-9687. We're also streaming live, wnur.org slash pop-up. All right, tonight we go inside the huddle with... Tenor Scott Ramsey live in studio. Scott plays the role of Wilhelm Dantine in Chicago Opera Theater's upcoming production of The Perfect American by Philip Glass. Get an inside look at this truly unusual opera about the final days of Walt Disney. Then we launch a brand new segment called The Home Team, where we focus on the latest in opera that's happening right here in Chicago. Tonight, we break down the 2017-2018 Chicago Opera Theater season, which has just been announced, plus... It's the two-minute drill, all the opera headlines from the past week that you need to know, and our hot takes on them. We've got a great show for you tonight. Oliver Camacho in the studio with us. Oliver. Can you hear me? Of course I can hear you, buddy. Oh, that's so great. This is very exciting, folks. We have uh, our guest already in front of the microphone just waiting to just tell you everything. But first, we have to have our banter, right? We should probably do a little bit of banter. Yeah, so to, today to is, uh, banter well, it's, it's the first day uh, Cubs home game as well. I guess I could do a little uh, live score update. You know, I had a friend who was a bartender in Wrigleyville, and mm-hmm. uh, about the third day into the season, he was always like, I hate the Cubs with mm. such a passion. But you know what? He only worked six months of the year, and the money he made as a bartender paid for the off season. Cubs tied 0-0 with the Dodgers, by the way, but it's only top of the first. Uh, any sports in your life right well, now, remember Oliver? last week we couldn't figure out the name of the good-looking uh, first baseman uh, that I was trying to think of his name. But I, I said his name right. It's Anthony Rizzo. I, I said Rizzo. I said Rizzo. He's the one. He's got great, like, hammy thighs. <laughs> and he was on a Saturday Night Live skit where he was dressed in hot pants, and I was very happy about okay, that. Okay, that's a, that's a compliment. Yeah. That's a compliment. Well, good. Hey, look, let's... Um, let's See, we have something in common. We both love Anthony Rizzo and hammy thighs. He, for very different reasons, yeah. I would probably I'm sure add. they're very athletic thighs. They're purposeful. They're very... They're yeah. delicious. <laughs> hey, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's do this show. Okay. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Opera box score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho and our guest tonight, Scott Ramsey. Scott, hello. Hello. So everybody, if you don't know Scott Ramsey and you are a young singer, Scott Ramsey has the type of career that we all want. He like went to school. 
He didn't go someplace famous like ABA or something like that, but he went to school, then he got into some young artist programs, and then he ended up in the Lyric Ryan Center. Then he started doing all these great gigs like St. Louis and uh, Chicago Opera Theater back in the Brian Dickey days and Opera Southwest and like Madison. And then he's now at the point where he's starting to get like these like bigger assignments. He was here a couple of years ago at Lyric Opera singing uh, Mitch in A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm -hmm. You've had some important assignments at Florida, Florida Grand Opera. And now you are uh, in the new Chicago Opera Theater yeah. uh, singing this really important American opera that everybody's talking about. It has a really sexy video, The Perfect American. <laughs> but before we talk about that, I just want to like rewind a little bit. So... Um, you, you've had all these great like regional jobs. You mm -hmm. know? You've worked with Stephen Lord at Opera Theater St. Louis. I want to hear about that. Like, tell me about Stephen Lord and what you learned from him because that's the type of conductor that all of us want to get a chance to work with. So Stephen is the type of conductor that is. Um, he's definitely a young artist's best friend. Um, mm -hmm. He's really a mentor, and so he is the type of conductor that will. Um, give you the right things to do. You know, he came mm -hmm. to the Lyric um, when I was a young artist and conducted um, a couple of concerts that we did there. And he really kind of pointed me toward the repertoire that he thought I would do best mm -hmm. um, to the point where he would just go buy recordings and bring them in and give them to me and be like, like what recordings? Verter. Yeah. Like, the, like um, Alfredo Krauss or like yeah, Michael Crowley. It was, like, yeah, like, yeah, some of these old, you know, these old, yeah. old, um, you know, classic recordings. I mean, he gave me like two or three. Did he give you like the um, really old stuff like George yeah, Teal? And yes. Like, okay, awesome. Yes. So those were the type of, and of course, you know, fast forward a few seasons, you know, later in my career when I was covering um, in Verter, covering mm -hmm. Matthew Polanzani singing Verter. Who's that? Who's that? <laughs> Who's that guy? Um, you know, that I learned from these recordings, mm -hmm. you know, just from listening to the style and everything. So it was, you know, he was definitely someone who who really gave gave the young artists um, uh, kind of a leg up and 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 let us know what what we should be doing and how to do things correctly and and just a real uh, a great mensch. And he, you know, I've done uh, at St. Louis. We did. He literally he Facebook messaged me and said. I'm doing Sweeney Todd because we had this thing for Sondheim together, and he mm. was like, "And Karen Ziemba is going to be our our Mrs. Lovett, who's a big you know Broadway um, star and Tony Award winning leading lady belter." And I literally was like, "I'll do anything," and he was like, "Pick your pick the role you want to do it at." And I was like, "The Beatle," and so I got to go and do that with her um, and 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 Stephen and a really fantastic. Um, so you production. didn't work on Bel Canto with him? You worked on no, no. It was just Sondheim. it was literally. One of those okay. that he was like, this is going to be just fun. Okay. And it really was. I mean, the cast was fantastic. Ron Daniels directed it, who also, you know, co-wrote co the actual play that Sondheim was based on, mm -hmm. or that Sondheim, that Sweeney Todd was based on. Okay. So it was neat to actually, like, have it directed by the guy who wrote the play. Okay. So it was really, and, and it was really fun. And then you know, I went on to do a, a couple other concerts with with Stephen. Uh, we did a, um, I filled in at the last second in a, um, uh, Turandot um, as Pong, Pong yeah. and Turandot, and we did a, um, and of, and again filled in at the last second in Elixir, um, doing Nemorino with him hmm. at Michigan Opera Theater, and that was a blast. Hmm. Just Having for the record, him, you know, finally being able to like really work on yes, on the role. Would you say? Scott, would you say Turandot or Turandot? Say, wait, repeat your question. Would you say Turandot or Turandot? <laughs> um, the question is, would you say Turandot or Turandot? I think you're um, 
I think it depends on um, the conductor. Okay. <laughs> um, the uh, from the very first role that I ever performed in Turandot was um, the Prince of Persia. Uh -huh. um, by with Maestro Stephen Lord. Hilarious that we're talking yeah. about this. He was this was at the Berkshire Choral Festival um, when I was a young artist there. I couldn't get in into any opera young artist programs because I was too young. Uh -huh. And so we were doing an opera He's weekend. Still too young. Yeah. Come on. Stop. Mount to God's ears. And. Uh, and I couldn't get into any program, and, and Stephen was the conductor for the for the hmm. opera week that we were doing there. And he uh, he came in, and uh, he was like, you know, this kid's got a good high G sharp. You know, he yeah. can sing turn. So I literally, I was just like, turn. Well, I would I would love to talk with you for a whole hour about Stephen Lord yeah. because I've heard so many great things about him. He's as a, a mentor, wonderful man. But we need to start steering the conversation towards Chicago Opera yeah. Theater. First of all, I want to ask you because you were in the previous iteration of COT with Brian Dickey. Yes. You were in the Viaggio. Yes. Uh, the Western version of it was Viaggio. so much fun. Yeah. So tell me what the company was like back then. Um, it was really interesting because it was um, th it was a lot of really young people who ended up having like fantastic careers. Yeah, like and Daniel we look Denise at like Daniel like, Denise and Michael Maniachi, right. Yeah. I mean, all these fantastic young singers who really got their feet wet. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we worked with a great young British, um, director, Christopher Cowell, mm -hmm. um, who did that Viaggio and he was fantastic. Um, and, it was. Are it you still singing crazy high D's? And stuff no, like that? Okay. oh God, no! Oh, I gave that up years okay. ago. Okay. No, in fact, I I did a the last thing that I did at any type of Rossini was at Opera Southwest, and it literally was with Anthony Barisi. Yes, oh, and I didn't Anthony know Brazy. I didn't know Tony at all okay. at the time, and the director was a friend of mine, and she and she and I had only met and kind of fallen in love with one another because we loved you just were the same person and she's from Madison and, okay. and you're and, from Wisconsin right like yeah so. and um, so we had this connection and she just called me up one day and she was like darling how are your high high C's you know how are your fast notes and I was <laughs> like it's been 10 years since I've done them and she was like well we had a tenor dropout and you've got a week and a half can you do it and I was like what show price is right uh, Italian girl Oh, Lindoro. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. With uh, Eve Giuliani was was the Italian oh God, girl, and Ashraf yeah. Swalem, and it, and Matt Burns. It was a great, great cast. I mean, it really. I mean, even even though it was you know n not the type of repertoire that I wanted to be doing and focusing on that time, I just yeah. had a blast doing it. Just such such great, great you know colleagues. Okay, so now you're back at yeah. Chicago Opera Theater, and um, you are in the show that just wrapped up <clears throat> at Long Beach, right? And uh, opens here in Chicago next weekend. Mm, uh, the two weekends. Yeah. 22nd. The yeah. 22nd, uh, which is the Philip Glass Opera, The Perfect American, which yeah. is the perfect year to do a Philip Glass Opera because right? it's, a, it's turning, is it 90 mm -hmm. this year? Okay. Just had or it. 80, I forget. Yeah. In fact, when we is were. It 80 or 90, I forget. It's 80. 80. He's 80. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Can you hear George? No. Okay. Just George, just so you know. Um, um, I'm going to have to relay any questions if you have them, okay? Sorry, George. Carry on, <laughs> You were working at one point. I could hear you perfectly. <laughs> All right. So um, tell us about uh, the role you play in The Perfect American and uh, the opera in general. So. Yeah. It's really interesting. The, um, so the, the opera itself is based on a book um, um, by... Yeah, really? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember this right now. I can tell um, you. Uh, it's uh, Der König Jung. von Amerika... Uh, Peter St Stefan Peter. Jung. Yes, yes. That's what constantly um, his name so. who, who actually was at our final performance in Long Beach. Oh, wow. Which was fantastic. Um, and he, um, the, the, 
the book itself is written from the vantage point of Dantine. Okay. So Dantine is a is an illustrator that has been um, wronged by Disney, um, and he becomes sort of a stalker oh. um, and stalks Disney. You know, through from the time he's he's fired to you know the end of his life, mm-hmm. and literally like follows him back to his hometown and like single white female type of very oh, much yeah. so, yeah. And in the book, um, he actually confronts him at his home, like climbs the fence with his young son, and like murders a mouse in front of him. Like it's horrible. Oh, wow. Um, but the opera does not take that tack. It doesn't. It doesn't go from that from his vantage point. Um, it actually just tells it tells more of the story of of um, Disney's final days, um, and it touches upon some of these things in the book that the book does. And um, so the 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 character, my character, is not in a lot of it. Although any of the pivotal moments that actually happen mm-hmm. happen because he's he's telling uh, Dantine is, is giving a truth about about Disney that they don't want to be known um you know that he didn't pay the illustrators well that he never gave them credit he's you the know? whistleblower yeah yeah and and though he is a fictional character he is kind of from different people you know within Disney's life so he's kind of a a, a conglomeration of different people that that kind of you know antagonized Disney throughout his life and i think that this production does a really good job of of telling the story but not making it anti-Disney. Okay. Um, and that was one of the big issues uh, with doing it in L.A. originally. Um, we were told that L.A. Opera, they were the Disney family said, absolutely not. You will not do it at L.A. Opera. It was supposed to be at the Symphony or the Opera. I can't remember. Um, but um, Disney's eldest daughter said no. Um, well, she's no longer with us. So okay. finally, someone was able to do it in that area. And I think Long Beach was the perfect um, partner to, for COT to partner up with to do it. Um, and the production um, is kind of the, the brainchild of Kevin Newberry, um, as you may know from Lyric Opera. He yeah, he's Norma actually been an interview year. guest a couple weeks ago. So yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, he's fantastic. And it's a, it's a really brilliant telling, I think. And it has a lot of heart. Um, and it's one of the few times on stage where I've actually been uh, been on the verge of tears, hmm. um, just from just from my own personal standpoint. Like as a character, I can get into my character and that can move me. Yeah. But from a personal standpoint, as I'm walking off the stage and my make my final exit, it's it's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking for for, for to see the kind of trials that this person went through and how he died and, 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 and the pain, you know, that, that was caused through all of that. It's a really and human story. And do you story. feel like, I mean, your resume and your history show that you're like this lyric tenor, like you, you're a melody guy, you know, like, are you able to do this in no. the show? <laughs> okay. No. It's, it's very, um, it's very different from anything that I've done. I'm, I'm moving into a little bit um, heavier repertoire now. Um, so it's kind of a perfect bridging, mm-hmm. uh, bridging role for more me. More declamation. Yeah. It's very, um, a little bit more heroic and mm-hmm. the orchestration is real thick. Um, and it's always, I mean, he's, it's always a very dramatic moment when he's singing. The very beginning, the first, um, the first scene that I sing in is very, um, I kind of am the only character that's breaking, breaking the third wall. Mm-hmm. I'm d- talking directly to the audience and, and kind of saying, this is what's happening. So go along on this ride with me. And so everybody, you kind of see, you kind of see my character 
um, literally stalk him throughout the whole the whole opera, and how he um, how he really just wants his attention. I mean, it's it's total single white female. I mean, he just wants Disney to say, "Good job," you know, or we "Thank just need you," to be or something. Right? That's he just all. wants validation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all. So, what I mean, besides the obvious appeal of you know, looking underneath or how the sausage is made type of, you know, um, intrigue of the plot. What's going to make an audience want to see this show? Um, I think familiarity is going to be a big thing Um, just because everybody knows Walt Disney. I mean, Mm -hmm. he really was in everybody's home at a time when this type of art that was being made wasn't I mean he was just groundbreaking in every in every sense of the word, and I think people that are going to go into this um, seeing something that they've never they didn't under, they didn't know this side of him before. My mm-hmm. my niece who lives in L A came to see it and it was her first opera that she had ever seen. <laughs> you took her to a full glass opera, yeah, of exactly, <laughs> yeah. And um, and she literally walked away going, you know, I'll never look at him the same because I didn't know I these things about him, <laughs> right? And you know what's funny about the about the score? And I have to say this is that I'm n- I've never been a huge Philip Glass fan. I've seen a couple of his works mm-hmm. and I've and I've always thought that it was brilliant mm-hmm. um i love this score because it's not like the others it's not okay. like the others there is there are those moments that are very you know glassian that you yeah. hear it but it's it has it's very lyrical moments at times okay very and there are some gorgeous heartbreaking melodies that he pulls when you don't think it's going to happen and all of a sudden it happens and you're just like oh my gosh and it underscores it underscores there's so much underscoring in this opera unlike any other opera I've ever seen and I think that's one of the one of the places where um, the director and the choreographer um, Kevin Newberry and Chloe Treat do a fantastic job at getting the getting it's such an ensemble cast mm-hmm. i mean it's not just you know the, the the three main characters everybody that's involved you see everybody the entire time and that was kind of the kind of the ongoing joke when we went into long beach was like you know there are only three like three or four major characters in the whole thing that actually sing a lot and then all the other little parts kind of come in and do their thing and then leave you know, and say their line, and everyone was like, "We're going to get a great vacation in Long Beach for yeah. four months, yeah. you know, four weeks while we're there." And he and Kevin Newberry the first day was like, "It's an ensemble show, so we're going to be in every scene." And everyone was like, "Oh, no, not really. No, they didn't do that." But it was one of those like, it's either going to be a vacation or it's going to be a lot of work. And it was a lot of work, but it was also a vacation. So you alluded to the style of the music. We all kind of have an idea of what Philip Glass sounds like. Is there? Are there any tunes that the audience might recognize from their familiarity with Disney movies? Oh no, not oh. at all. Not a one. Oh. Nope. There's no that we had there are no rights given for any of that. And I don't I honestly don't think that, that Philip Glass would have done anything like that. Yeah. Um because it wasn't really about the music or the art or, you know, anything like that that he had done previously it was more about his about his life and literally i mean philip glass being such a wonderful movie composer yeah, really yeah. cinematically he yeah. paints this picture that's just beautiful beautiful i just I, I sort of knew the answer to that question but i feel like you have to put it out there exactly because people are gonna think don't you know, come you, yeah you stretch out this melody it could be an aria yep. you know? so, yeah but don't you don't know, that come Barbara thinking, Hendricks album you know she's yes. disney you know <laughs> don't think that you're gonna come hearing zippity doodah or okay. anything like that because it's not in there well I, um you will see some some 
graphics um, that that you will that you'll notice. But because Disney is very uh, they're very strict on on copywriting, you know, you can only use so many things. But okay. keep your eye out for hidden things. Were you about to say, George? I was going to say after the break, we're going to play a little clip oh, of cool. the show. But we should uh, we do need to go to a couple PSAs here. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for coming yeah, in. Yeah, my pleasure. And we look forward Thanks to for seeing you me. in two weeks. Yes. H- Happy Easter. Thank or, you. Passover? Everything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Easter. (laughs) Scott Ramsey on Opera Box Score. We're going to be right back. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah! And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! And then my dad Ah! even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting, as in Smokey Bear. We were about to head home after a bonfire, and Smokey said the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. Did you know that 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans? No kidding. I'm a forest ranger. We never kid. Sorry. Kidding. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only okay, you what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. Wildfires. So mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you left with bunny ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier. And it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest and Oliver the Man Camacho. <laughs> Thanks, Norm, for the new jingle, the bumper. I love it. George Cedarquist here on Opera Box Score. Scott Ramsey on the show with us. Really enjoyed having him around. Just a generally fun guy. Um, hey, I promised you I'd play you a little bit of this uh, Perfect American soundtrack. And uh, let me set that up for you right now. We're going to get Oliver into the uh, studio number two here and uh, continue on with the show. Check this out. Perfect American, Philip Glass.
that was the very opening of the perfect American. Does that put you in a good class. mood? <laughs> you feel like <laughs> I, you know what? I, I I wasn't sure if I was going to make it to see this show. Yeah, and literally having heard those two minutes, I have to be there. Oh wow! I. I can't tell you how much I love Philip Glass's music. Hearing Scott talk about it, knowing that Kevin Newbery is directing it. Yeah. I Friend of the show, Kevin Newbery. <laughs> I am going to rearrange a dinner date. All right. With Where our next door neighbors. With the next door neighbors. Wow. Yeah. They want and, you to go to the opera. Well, actually, my next door neighbor listens to the show, so he would understand Ooh. that uh, okay. it's a work-related thing. So, yeah, I really want to see it. Very much so. We have a new segment this week. So exciting. It's called The Home Team, and this is the intro that Norm and I put together. How about we root for the home team? <laughs> Baseball season's underway. <laughs> I've been looking for a way to get... Uh, Go Cubs, go on the show. Uh, so, I, I mean, Oliver, this was your idea, really. And it was such a great idea that, look, the show is based in Chicago, mm-hmm. Opera Box Score. We talk about Chicago opera scene a lot, but it kind of pervades the whole show. And what if we could kind of focus it down and boil it just into maybe one segment, go a little bit more in depth. Maybe it's a weekly thing. Maybe it's not. But I just thought it was a great idea. And this week, we have the perfect opportunity to do that. Last week right after the show was taped yeah like literally the next like couple hours chicago <laughs> opera theater oh yeah that was on tuesday so we, we recorded on monday and then the press the press event was on tuesday the That's exactly season right. announcement yes exactly so they have a three show season coming up the console by giancarlo minotti is in november Elizabeth Cree is in February of 2018. That's a world premiere by composer Kevin Putz and librettist Mark Campbell. And then in April, it's a Donizetti double bill. Il Pygmalione. And Pygmalion. Rita. Pygmalion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Rita. <laughs> uh, or in English, My Fair Lady. There I you go. I think is how you translate there you go. Uh, Pygmalion. So... So the first show, yeah, the first show will uh, be in November, uh, the first and second weekend of November. Um, The console, which you just directed, like a couple months ago, yeah, 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 last summer. Um, So they're bringing in Patricia Reset to sing the role of Magda. Is that right? Is that her name, Magda? That's correct. Yes. Um, Which is like a tour de force, very comprehensive role uh, that requires all sorts of you know dramatic. Uh, ability and it makes sense that if they've established a relationship with Patricia Rosette and the Chicago audiences really love her from love what you men yeah Poulonc, and from other from things yeah season. yeah and going back for yeah but I mean Chicago theater I mean, it's a real coup for them to, to get Patricia Rosette again uh, because she's I mean she's about as big a deal as there can be you mm-hmm. know in terms of casting Chicago Opera theater is not necessarily known for you know having these types of casting scoops right but Patricia Rosette, go her. Um, Andreas Mitisek will be returning to stage direct this show. That's right. Uh, then, I don't know this Kevin Putz. I feel like I just heard his name the other no, day. You do. So. you do know Kevin Putz. Kevin Putz, Mark Campbell, was the team behind Silent Night. Okay. The Pulitzer Prize winner from 2012, which was about the Christmas Day truce during World War One. But I also feel like there's another reason I should know Kevin Putz. Like, he just... 
came out with a song cycle or something like that. Like he's possible. <laughs> yeah. That he's, he's sort of like a, you know, a, a name that we should all begin to become familiar with. And frankly, know? Mark Campbell, who is a colleague of mine as a mm. librettist, Drink. he is just mm. everywhere. He just did the libretto to the William Balcom opera dinner at eight up at Minnesota opera. And okay. Mark is just everywhere these days. Okay. Well, I feel like I, there's probably some, uh, book that it's based on that I don't, know about <laughs> do you know elizabeth cree yes it's based on peter Ackroyd's novel the trial of elizabeth cree mm-hmm. which is a victorian mm. penny dreadful I oh believe. okay yes. yeah i would like that so they are collaborating with opera philadelphia and hackney empire the hackney empire is a big commercial producer i believe in london Okay, so that's probably going to add illustriousness to their set design. Well, c- certainly a little bit of uh, British flavor. Yeah. Original British flavor, yeah. Yeah, like uh, what do you call those? Maltesers? That's <laughs> <laughs> British flavor, right? Or what are those cookies? Like hobnobs, right? Hobnobs. Yeah. What are like the ones that are made from oats and that like make you a little bit your your stool oh, firm? Digestive biscuits. Yeah, <laughs> Chocolate digestives. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oliver, if I had a penny. For every chocolate digestive I've eaten in my time yeah. as a child, sitting around listening to boring aunts and uncles talk, Aww. I'd be a millionaire. Are they listening right now, our aunts and uncles? We're not going to get anything from their will if you're going to... Doubtful. It's <laughs> okay. uh, 3.30 in the morning in the okay. UK. So. We need the, the planned giving plan here for OBS. And then finally, a Donizetti double bill, which, I mean, I guess would be exciting to me because I love Bel Canto, but I don't know... Either of these operas, and I guess they're both short enough that they can be uh, paired on the same performance. Um, one of our local conductors, Francesco Miliotto, will be uh, conducting this show, and Amy Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, have you interviewed her on this show? She, like... You know, Amy has not been on the show. Okay. She, uh, obviously, she will be now. Okay. Uh, she yeah. was not on the show when she had directed Song from the Uproar at Chicago Fringe Opera, but she. She of all the Chicago directors I know, I think she's a great choice for this. Like her time has come. Okay. She has spent so many years in the trenches, whether as an assistant director at yeah. Lyric Opera, whether doing storefront opera, or whether doing stuff outside of Chicago. I mean, she is exactly the sort of person I want to see directing at Chicago Opera Theater. I want to see them hiring locally. I wish it was a better set of operas, personally. Well, we, you haven't heard them. I have, because I've directed Rita. Oh, really? And it's kind of a dud, <laughs> in my opinion. It's well, let's see if Amy can make it better than you did. It's, I, you know, I'll blame myself. It's, it's just, there's What's not it about? a lot of meat there. It's a, it's a bizarre sort of uh, three-cornered romance. Okay. A love triangle, you mean? Love triangle, okay. yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's just me. This is interesting, and I'm just going off the press release here okay. from COT, saying that these two operas will, quote, be framed in the world of quintessential Italian cinema. Hmm. Now, that feels like an Amy Hutchison thing to do. Yeah. She's very deft with projections and working those into her directing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the type of aesthetic that Chicago Opera Theater likes. Okay. Obviously, there's... Scores well, and scores. You remember the Johnny Skiki from, like, was it two years ago? Right. Or, yeah. well, last year, yeah. Oh, it was last year, yeah. There was a lot of uh, backlash against the set design for that. Like, people thought it was nauseating. So. Right. Well, it was. Uh, oh. <laughs> but there were projections, I don't think, in well, there it. Were were some, there was some use of light. Well, there was the, the moon in the Voix Humaine, uh, and I think they... In Voix Humaine, yeah. but not in yeah. Skiki. 
Yeah, I felt like I felt like the, they were projecting onto the entire stage, like some like um, you know, it was I guess it was more lights and projections, but I felt like we were like in a strobe light type of situation there, or like a Austin Powers kind of colorful polytechnic. What's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm talking about? You know? I do Technicolor. Yeah. There you go, Technicolor. There you go. Yeah, it's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that double bill. All right. Well, anyway, the reason behind it is yes. presumably they want a named composer. Yes, they need it on this roster here. Yeah. Uh, Donizetti is that, and they've picked apparently the very first work he ever wrote. Right. Uh, with one of his last operas, I I don't think you would necessarily know that unless you read it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, these are not operas that are going to draw people in based on their names, based on their titles. So it's gonna, it's all about that they're doing Donizetti. And hopefully they're going to, they haven't named anybody in the cast yet, so we'll see. Yeah. Maybe they're going to get some, you know, up-and-coming bel canto. Well, it's a year from now, Razzmatazz, too. you know. So they, they don't well, know. Well, they should have their cast set by now, but maybe they haven't signed the contract yet, you know. If, if I was to work backwards then, back to Elizabeth yeah. Cree. Yeah. First of all, Opera Philadelphia is doing everything right mm-hmm. these days. They are, for their size, just producing the best works, breaking the waves, the mm-hmm. Missy Mazzoli world premiere, which mm-hmm. was a huge, huge success. Uh, I think this is going to be fantastic. I think it's great that COT is doing another world premiere the season after the Stuart Copeland piece. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a gutsy choice. Yeah. Two back-to-back world premieres. They premiere. were trying to do four operas, so I guess they sort of got four operas out of this by doing uh, a double bill. Yeah. But their goal was eventually to get five. They have that campaign going right now, like the five, okay. $5 million for five operas, you right. know? Right. So I don't know if what this necessarily represents, if they are just trying mm. to be more conservative, if they didn't really quite achieve their financial goals. And we also have this whole thing about Andres Midasek leaving kind of suddenly and it's sort of unexplained and we're, we, we're asking our insiders, you know, to tell us the scoop, whatever you know. We'd what are the insiders to. telling us? Nobody's telling us anything yet. Yeah, it's so. very strange. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. I don't It's know. like a whole Russia deal with like, you know. Nor do I understand necessarily why he's coming back to direct the one Because I guess they did season. not leave acrimoniously. I guess they still have a very lovely relationship. That, that's a maybe good they thing. just need to say maybe he planned the season and maybe they're just trying to save money on having that position not filled, you know. Console is an interesting choice too because I feel like it is the go-to opera when you want to make a very vague general political statement mm-hmm. and you trot out console. It's about, you know, the individual against the institution. It's about society crushing our hopes and dreams, and yet we carry on. The problem is, is that the music is so insipid and so mm. melodramatic, that it, and it's long. It's like a solid, it's almost three hours long, which, it, that is a long time to sit and really try and focus on. There it are in, longer on a, operas than that. That are in your own language, though. Oh, I think it makes it more taxing for an audience when the opera's in their language because they have to try harder to understand what's going on. Well, they feel compelled. I bet you there's going to be projected titles. I, it's 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 different though because you start to in your mind you skip over the titles when you know that the opera is in your. So language. you think that sitting through a f- foreign language opera is easier than sitting through an English language opera? I think so because I think it's easier just to read the titles than it is to. Be actively listening to your own language being sung. Okay. 
You guys know why, like, I get so upset on this show. Like, I get so frustrated sometimes. Like, I can't believe how your opinion can be so different than I think the majority. But maybe you're the majority. I don't know. Like, yeah. You should comment on the Facebook uh, post or we don't have a place to comment on the website. But let's t- tell us what you think. Do you think that English language operas are harder to sit through than operas in a foreign language? The other question, too, is do you agree with a season which has two English language pieces on it? What's wrong with that? I think that the regional opera companies should try harder to do operas in the vernacular. Mm-hmm. Look at what English... Na- you're here. You love English National Opera, you know? I do. They I mean, are they, the opera of the people, right? Produce you know? in English. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. It's very true. Again, and, and furthermore, I think that English has become the lingua franca of 21st century opera. Yeah. Look, I don't know how Andreas Medesek is going to frame the production. Mm-hmm. I Having just directed it myself, I know that... It can be that go-to opera when you want to make a very blanket, vague political statement and everyone comes out of it saying, God, it's so relevant. It's, it's about Well, it's about Trump. visas. What if it's about people getting trapped in, you know, whatever, Iraq, who have every good reason to be in the States, you know? I, I understand that. I just, that seems like a very reductive, simplistic way. Okay, well, I'm not saying that's what you're going to do. But I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not saying that. I, I hope I'm shocked. And yeah. I hope I'm wowed. And am I going to go see it? What if it's America's trying to get into Canada? Okay. Now that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. That would be very, very interesting. It's hard to argue with the casting, though, on that. As you said at the top of the segment, Patricia Reset. I mean, that role of Magda is an absolute... It's like the Norma of Minotti operas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there a... I'm trying to think of, of a bigger role in the English language repertory... Well, we could we could think about that off the air and okay. and come back because we got more stories to get to. But I just want to say this, this this hometown segment. Uh, it's because we are like I said, we're Chicago based, and there are plenty of other shows out there that are based in New York or wherever. And I'm sure they're talking about their stuff. Sure. So Chicago is a big city. And we have a lot going on. We so do. I have no problem with us promoting what our city has to offer. Opera box score on WNUR two minute drill coming up after the break. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at thatsnotcool.com. Thatsnotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Thanks for asking, but I'd rather not send you nude pictures. I'm camera shy. I already said no. Under my clothes, I'm a robot. My webcam is broken. I'm worried they'll get passed around school. I have a rash. I have nudophobia. I have lizard skin. I'm a vampire, so I don't show up in pictures anyways. Your badgering has really killed the mood. When someone is pressuring you to do something you don't want to, how many ways can you say no before they get the message? Let us know at thatsnotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. If you lost a tree during the hurricane, it's more than a nuisance. It's a loss of quality of life and property value. Florida lost millions of trees statewide, and our community health and property values have suffered. 
Research shows that properly planted and maintained trees survive and cause less damage, create positive property value and community health. Protect yourself and your investments. Maintain your trees by calling your local certified arborist to inspect them. Together, we can create healthy trees for healthy cities. Trees for Florida. Visit treesarecool.com. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the festive headlines from Opera Land. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. No sooner had the New York Times reported last week that, quote, for Renee Fleming, the supertar soprano who will sing the Marshallin at the Met, and for music, this really is the end of an era. This Rosenkavalier may well be her farewell to staged opera. Fleming then told National Public Radio that, quote, I never said that I was stepping away from the opera stage for good. Never, never, never did I say that to anybody. The University of Pittsburgh is opening a $5 million museum dedicated to mezzo-soprano Marilyn Horn. L.A. Opera General Director Placido Domingo announced that mezzo-soprano Susan Graham will serve as artistic advisor to L.A. Opera's Domingo Colburn Stein Young Artist Program beginning in the 2017-2018 season. Heading overseas, Sir Simon Rattle will conduct Puccini's Tosca for the first time in his career. That's happening this week at the Baden-Baden Festival. The English National Opera production of Philip Glass's Akhenaten won the Olivier Award for this year's Best Opera Production at the ceremonies in London last night. In New York, the Opera News Magazine's award were also handed out. And a report from the Italian magazine Classical Voice has listed the most expensive ticket prices for opera houses across three different categories. And the winners are La Scala, the Teatro Real in Madrid, and the Salzburg Festspiele. That's the two-minute drill. Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George and Oliver. Welcome back to the oh, show. We have a new intro that's just us, just when it's mano a mano, huh? Yeah, dude. Because <laughs> it happens too often. <laughs> well, it's not too often. Dinah Fisher. But yeah, you know who you are if you haven't been Toby on the show Wright. in a while. Yeah, exactly. Amber <laughs> Carter. Man. A lot to talk about there. Shade. We should, Yeah, throwing shade. We should, we should start with the... Um, Renee Fleming. <laughs> this is amazing. So, yeah, I forget when that article came out last week. But April 6th, was it? Everybody in my Facebook circle was sharing it. I mean, I could not open up Facebook without seeing that darned article. And, uh, I mean, if there's nothing, there was not a lot of new information in that article. But somehow the headline made it sound like Renee Fleming was retiring after she sang in the Marshland. Right. Which I don't think anybody thought to be true unless they have, were just casual fans of opera you know but all of us who are like in the business there's no way that she would quit right there like with that role so many great sopranos usually begin to wind back by doing different roles that are not necessarily with the fuck that they're used to right. like uh Kostelnichka or like whatever the grand the old lady and mm-hmm. daughter of the regiment whatever mm-hmm. um or doing works composed especially for them you know um, at like Frederica von Stade with his three Decembers and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was not surprised. But then the next day was at Vanity Fair. I forget who 
published uh, article. NPR. NPR, oh yeah. yeah. Where she came out and said, no, I didn't mean that. So it makes me think that this was a total publicity stunt. I think this is Peter Gelb you and his, lot, his media machine. Dude. No, no, I, I think it's true. I think that he wants to sell tickets to Rosen Cavalier. And even if there's a mistake, if there's a retraction that has to be made, all publicity is good publicity. Wow, you're a conspiracy theorist yeah. of opera, Oliver, is what you are. <laughs> it's a, there's a very small step between you and, and fake news. <laughs> and Infowars. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Alex Jones. It, I'm the Alex Jones of opera. Well, it's, awesome. it's true that, look, Renee Fleming, she would never just throw in the towel like that. That performance of Rosenkavler is supposed to finish on May 13th, by the way. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that having the career that she has, not just had, but has that she would just throw it all away like that. She has been quoted as saying that, you know, when it, when her time, when she kind of feels like her time is up, she's not going to do the thing of playing smaller parts or lower-voiced parts. She really is just going to... Yeah, her voice has stayed high, so... And she's just going to rip off that Band-Aid and, and be done with it. And, and look, the artistic advisor position at Lyric, that's been successful enough for, mm-hmm. it to, for her to continue. I think her and contract that, expires soon. Okay, so we should watch that. Yeah, I don't know if I could be making that up, but I feel like I feel like the Chicago Voices uh, initiative is over. So That's correct. Th- I think that was her initiative. So I yeah. don't know if what's happening yeah. with that. So they've I got mean, Eric Owens and Anna Maria Martinez. They're trying to make it more brown, you know. Well, it ties into the appointment of Susan Graham at LA Opera mm-hmm. as well. She's coming in to be white. an artistic advisor. Uh, Larry Brownlee was someone we were talking about yes. as artistic advisor at Opera Philadelphia. I'm all for this because if you're in one of those programs and who knows how much access you're going to get to somebody like Susan Graham, but it's important to have that sort of mentorship out there. It's important to, to at least know you could get in the room with someone like that and talk to them may hopefully in a very casual kind of way. When I think back to the young artist programs that I've done, you have to schedule it. You got to fight for your time a little bit to find those people that, but if there's big names in the room, like you, you get access to them in a certain way. That's part of the privilege of being in the program and and good for LA. Again, like Opera Philly, doing everything right. Yeah, I think this is the way ultimately that these um, young artist programs are going to be able to separate, distinguish themselves from other programs. I mean, there are so many young artist programs now right. and there's no way that there's enough great teachers mm-hmm. uh, that can you know, usher or shepherd these, these young voices. So when you can get a big name like Susan Graham, we get closer to that, you know, old time way of, of developing voices by having a one-on-one relationship with a great. And granted, I'm sure there's probably like a dozen or more in this young artist program. But if Susan Graham's going to devote what, 10 hours a month or what did she say she was going to do? There's some contract she has where she has to spend so much time with them every month. Um, That's not so much. I guess it's not. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm quoting this wrong, but there is something, some stipulation where she's got to spend That's like two and a half hours a week, basically. <laughs> she's got to at least shake hands with them <laughs> before she can put her name on this Press thing. How yeah. very L.A. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, no, but I mean, I, I think that's great. And, you know, Susan Graham is a stylist, and, you know, she has expertise in a lot of different type of repertoire, early music, French um, romantic music. Mozart, you know, so these are all things that people and broke. These are all things that people need to be learning. And it's good to have somebody who really has a specialty that can give them, you know, good counsel on those things. Beautifully put. Brava to all those. She's tall, too. She'll make everybody feel so small. 
Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. She's really tall. You sent me the lead to the Olivier Awards, which are the English equivalent of the Tonys. Mm. And and they have an opera category. Which I think is awesome. Oh, they sh- I mean, the Tonys. The what an embarrassment that we don't acknowledge. Oh, the, don't yeah. even get me started on the Tonys. Yeah. I mean, you know I dislike the Oscars and the Grammys, but the Tonys mm. are, are pure commercial. Now, the daytime TV awards, those are fine. Yeah? Okay. Just kidding. Akhenaten wins for best... Uh, outstanding. It's a new opera production. Best new opera production. Yes. That's the category as well. Also handed out. Mark Wigglesworth was conducting Don Giovanni. Oh, and Lulu, both of them at English National Opera. Of course, he then left. Yeah. In a bit but of a his, huff. His so award was outstanding achievement in opera. Yeah. So yeah. he's an achiever. Actually, Renee Fleming was in that same category for her performance in Rosen Cavalier at the Royal Opera House. But and she didn't win. She was just nominated. I understand that. But if you go to the Olivier Awards, just olivieawards.com, mm-hmm. if you're a director, look at that production photo for Renee Fleming and Rosen Cavalera. That is absolutely gorgeous. This is the Robert Carson production that is going to be at the Met that we just spoke about in that other item. Oh, my gosh. I wish I would have designed that. I have to miss that show. I'm so sad. It's the the HD broadcast is on I think May 13th here in in the Chicago. It's everywhere I guess. Okay. And I have to work that day. I'm you so You know my sad. my father-in-law gets me a ticket to the Met HD broadcast for Christmas every year and I haven't used mine yet. So maybe I should I was going to do it for Rizalka, but maybe I should hold Rizalka off. Rizalka already happened. You missed it. No, I know, but there's a uh, a repeat. There's oh, like, like a the rebroadcast. Encore, encore okay. yeah. yeah. I might have missed that too. Yeah, you missed it. I missed that too. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's usually like, the Wednesday after the it looks Saturday. Looks like so. I'm not going to see Rosalka. Maybe I should see. Yeah, go see. Um, Rosalka. Yeah. If possible. Because it's Renee Fleming's last performance ever. <laughs> it's the last time she'll open her mouth and sound will come out. She's going to be mute. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's going to learn American. Her contract with the devil is over. <laughs> what she'll about... suddenly look her age, <laughs> and she'll smell like herself. Now, because the... you know she has a perfume. I forget what it's called. Vouch, I think. Oh my god. <laughs> Seriously, she has a perfume. Vouch. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but I would not call it Vouch. <laughs> that sounds like a topical ointment. <laughs> that should be a men's cologne. Yeah. Hey, put on some Vouch. Vouch. The ladies love Vouch. <laughs> <laughs> Natrebko. Does Natrebko have her? She has a tea. She has a tea set. Yeah. Someone else has their own. Uh, de toilette. Oh yeah, Is I think I think the Trapco does, yeah. Okay. But she also has her her famous tea set. She has, her, she has her own like yeah, iPhone case. Yeah, she's everything. Oh my God, she's everything. The Opera News Awards. Now look, I'm not. I don't read Opera News. I don't read. Sorry, the the propaganda wing of the <laughs> Metropolitan Opera. You again sent me this lead. The people that were honored April 9th, Robert Carson, the director, mm-hmm. Matthew Polanzani, our friend. Christine Gerke. Amazing. Yannick Neze Seguin. You've been practicing? Frederica von Stade. I think she goes von Stade. I think she says it the American way. Yeah, I, I, we should ask her. We should get her on the show. Well, that would be fun. Anyway, the reason why I wanted you guys all to go to operawire.com, which is a great resource. They always have, like, what are the stories in opera right now? And, you know, I would love to be a guest at the opera uh, news awards like and have dinner and sit next to Kiri Takanova that type of thing you'd be perfect yeah, yeah I know so good at that Oliver. Um, I have to learn how to tie a bow tie though but uh, it was nice that um, the person who wrote the article uh, Francisco no Francisco Salazar mm-hmm. uh, apparently was in attendance and he basically summarized the acceptance speeches of each of these 
award recipients. So go and check out operawire.com. I think it's kind of fun to see what they said to this very expensive audience of one percenters. I'm going to actually put a link. I'm reading these speeches now. These are awesome. I'm going yeah. to put a link to this on Christine Gerke got all political. Awesome. Well, it will also allow you to look at the promotional shot or the mm-hmm. the, the shot that they took at the awards, and you can yeah. see step press. Yeah, how small director Robert Carson is <laughs> when he stands tiny. next to Christine Gerke. Well, I'm not saying she's big. Yeah, he's just a small man. He's yeah. just a small man. Yeah, you're a small man. That's like that's going to be me. Yeah, in probably like 30 years. Yeah, standing yeah. next to Dinah Fisher. Dinah Fisher is a tall and I, and. Uh, uh, statuesque woman, you know. She's an Amazon. Wait, yeah. does that Polanzani have an earring in this photo, or is that just like pixels? I think maybe it's just not a good, yeah, high resolution there. Okay, yeah. it looks like he had an earring for some yeah. reason. And then Frederica von Stade, she looks a bit like Angela Merkel. Mm. That's odd. I love her. Let's stop right there. We've got to talk about the Maryland Horn Museum. I'm so excited about this. I want to go. I'm going to take my kids. We're going to have like a field trip. Like it's going to, it's like va- uh, American vacation or European vacation. Like I'm Chevy Chase. You're going to be there. Chevy Chase. Yeah. And, um, Beverly. Oh God. Beverly Wolf. Is that her name? Or no. Beverly DeWolf? D'Angelo. Be- Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'll be your Beverly D'Angelo. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take the kids <laughs> on a big road trip to the Maryland Horn Museum. So the museum has amazing exhibits. Uh, there's costumes from some of our various roles. There's like a room called Maryland Talks where you get to hear like audio segments like interviews and, and performances. Uh, there is the voice as an instrument exhibit which is an audio activity where you have to guess who's singing. Is it a soprano, a mezzo, tenor, bass? I bet you nobody on this uh, panel here that regular could would be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, that, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. I'm starting to teach my son how to identify Good. voice types. Good. He's ahead of you already. Um, so, yeah, um, thank you, University of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm going to donate money to this. Yeah, I should, because I love Marilyn. She's my hero. You should. We got time for the last little item on the two-minute drill, which was this article from Classical Voice magazine, which is an Italian magazine, about the most expensive opera tickets out there. He had three categories, the guy who wrote it. The first category is just Italy, so La Scala. That makes sense. Then in all of Europe which was the Teatro Real in Madrid, mm-hmm. I thought it would have been Covent Garden, quite frankly. Hmm. I have definitely wanted to see stuff at Covent Garden and have been priced out, just like, you know... You mean the Royal Opera House? The Royal Opera yeah. House. Tickets for, you know, 85, 90, 100 pounds. I'm talking the bottom ticket price. Yeah, I had an obstructed view of Elixir of Love when I was there. Okay. And it wasn't that obstructed. I was okay, okay. with it, yeah. Okay. I had to do a little craning of my neck to see yeah. some stuff, but it was okay. Did you just tell them to, like, scooch down in their seat in front well, of Well, they all thought what? that I worked there because I was not white, so they all were asking ah. me, like, could you take my coat, sir? You know, so <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> but I was also dressed like a usher because that's my normal outfit when I'm traveling. Good yeah. for you. And uh, then, helps me get into places all, all stealth. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we leave that topic. I, well, I wanted to say first, okay. and then the, the, the third category was, was festivals in Europe. Uh. And the ticket at the Salzburg Festspiele, 450 euros. I'm going to do the mm. math for everybody right now. Whoa, that's almost $500. <laughs> that's your math that you have to stop and do? <laughs> he pulled out a calculator. He had like some pie chart or some Whoa. like a abacus or I, I have a, compass. I have, like, I have um, currency exchange like on my oh, desktop because okay. I'm always because my German bank account and my yeah. British bank account. I want to keep an eye on those oh. as well. Yeah. Drink. Um, so 
I wanted to talk about, uh, you made me forget what I was going to say. Oh, about if you go to Royal Opera House, yeah. Covent Garden, do yourself a favor, get there like 90 minutes before the show mm-hmm. and go to Jamie Oliver's Fish and Chips restaurant. Oh that's right God. in the mall over there. That's the perfect night. Have some fish and chips, have a cocktail, go see the opera, fall asleep a little bit. Um, I have to say, we did not get to this story. We might get to it next week. Yeah. There's this post uh, from the new somebody at San Francisco Symphony uh, about uh, our kind of mission to oh, spread yeah. music. And this guy made the stupidest he, comment. He screwed up. Let's say yeah. that. So we'll say that. Let's but let, yeah, we, we are outraged, folks, just cool. so you know. We are, as Opera Box Corps spokesperson, we are outraged. Good call. <laughs> Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Man, this show was really packed. Thank you, Scott Ramsey, for joining us. And Elizabeth Elliott uh, from Carol Fox and Associates for setting that up for us. I'm glad you gave her a shout out because I never do. And and she just works. She's like the Michelle Obama of publicity. That's great. Uh, You got a good call or a bad call, buddy? I just want to shout out to all of our singer friends who are. Going through H-E double hockey sticks right now because it is Holy Week. And if you are a professional singer and you do the church circuit, you are working really hard right now. And you're going to be tired, but you get to drink and eat all the cake on Sunday. That's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, is written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share, and comment on our posts, or you can just tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, help promote our show. Leave a review on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For our guest, Scott Ramsey, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even though April showers bring May flowers. We're back next Monday at 9 Central when stage director and indie opera podcast co-host Walker Lewis joins us via phone from New York. We'll be talking about directing his podcast and what it's like to be a dad in the opera world world. Argo Radio is up next with DJ Joe. This is WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's sound experiment. <laughs> <laughs>